Thank you for being here today. Let's all remain standing. It is my pleasure to introduce our friend of about, I don't know, 30, 40 years, Terry Henshaw. Come on up here, Terry. Give him a hand. We can give a better warm welcome than that to this. Terry Henshaw has been the athletic director of Victory Christian School. He's been involved as a baseball coach, walk-on baseball player at Oral Roberts University many years ago. When Billy Joe wanted to go to the world, he tapped Terry Henshaw on the shoulder, and Terry was instrumental in Victory really reaching the world with the Crusades around the world. Many nations now have started the 99, which he'll be sharing about. And I believe a man of God that is impacting the United States of America and impacting the world. Let's give him another welcome. Thank you. Stay standing just for a moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for the impartation that you desire on the life of every person here. Thank you that they're open hearts to receive. They've come expecting They've braved the snow. They've braved the Super Bowl hype to come and to be a part of this meeting. And God, thank you that they're putting you first. We thank you for what you're doing in every life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, tell the person beside you, man, I am so glad you came today. You're in the right place. Go ahead and grab a seat. It's such an honor and privilege to be with you. Your pastor had mentioned, um, we've been with Pastor Billy Joe and Sharon. Sharon will be here uh, the, on February uh, 20, 22nd. <laughs> hey, it told me in the monitor right there. <laughs> okay, that's going to be hard to live down, okay? I'm just, I'm just telling you. <laughs> um, anyway, we've been a part of the ministry with them since they very first started in 79. And so our family has changed, our, our, our ministry has changed, our, our companies were changed, our children were changed by connecting with the local house and being obedient. As we saw the ministry increase, we increased. And so I just encourage you that stay connected. That's, that's God's heart. That's His provision to you to learn, to grow. And, and so we're so grateful for everything that's been imparted in our life by being connected with the church. And Pastor Billy Joe came and he sat in my office, uh, and he stayed so busy that, you know, I've been with him since 79, but um, I don't know, probably, you know, been with him for 25 years, and he came and sat in my office, I think, for the first time, and because uh, he, just, he just stays so busy, and usually you go to his office, five minutes you're out, you know, because you receive your assignment, you're going, because there's a line waiting, and people just, just constant movement, and and, and reaching people. But he came and he sat in my office and said, Terry, let's dream for a moment. That moment turned into be an hour and a half. And he said, you know, we've got outreaches and ministry and crusades that we've done all over the world. And, and our Bible schools are going all over the world. And, and, and he said, we have over 100 outreaches to the city of Tulsa from the ministry here. But he said, we're really not doing anything or very little to reach our own nation. He said, let's believe God, that God would speak to us, give us the strategy, the plan to reach our nation, to do our part. He was sensing that in his spirit, and especially to go after young people. 
And so we prayed and we agreed and he said, I need for you to focus on it because we're building a sanctuary, we're doing so much, and, but I, I believe God will give you the assignment. He'll, he'll speak to you. Eight months later, I'm sitting in the Word Explosion, which is our conference we do every year. And it's like the Lord arrested my mind and I began to write as fast as I could. I'm conscious. I'm, I, I mean, I can tell you how the Bible, when the Bible says it was written under the, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, they, you know, the men wrote. And I know exactly how that happened because as I sat there, I took my pad out and I just wrote as fast as I could. I'm not thinking of one word. Uh, you know, I, and I'm not listening, but I'm, I'm focused on just writing as fast as I can. Page after page after page. 14 pages of instructions. And then it stopped. And I turn the pad back, go back to the first page. Very first line, the Lord says, I want you to believe me for a million people a year to have an encounter with me one-on-one. -on -one. We've done crusades all over the world, so I know what it's like ministering to the mass, but I one-on-one, -on -one, what does that mean as I continue to read? The 99 was birth. You see, the 99 is a reality walk-through theater that focuses on the leading cause of death to teenagers and young adults. It's a 20,000 square foot air structure that we build a very elaborate Hollywood type set on the inside of 13 rooms. The first half, we deal with prevention, what's killing teenagers across America. We have a, a real car wreck scene where a group of kids have been texting, have collided with a family. So it's like you walk right upon this accident just as it happened. And we're explaining how it transpired by texting and driving. 31 kids will lose their life like that today on an average. We deal with violence, suicide, anger. We have a real crack house. I personally have never been in a crack house. But we went to real crackheads. And we said, would you help us build a room, authentic, and teach us what actually happens on the inside? And these drug dealers, these druggies, built us an amazing crack house and taught us what happens on the inside. Now, they had received Christ already, so, but, but they were from that background. And so, you know, it looks, everything looks and smells, I mean, it's authentic. It's the real deal. Thirteen rooms of reality. The second half, we share the gospel in a very loving way, that every person ends up one-on-one -on -one with a believer talking about where their life is spiritually. I want to show you a quick video of that, if we could run that first video uh, on the 99. We met Mike in Louisiana. Every person that comes through the 99 comes through that last room and sits down with a believer from a local church to speak about their life, to see where they are spiritually. Mike was headed to a secluded field that night to take his life. One of his friends called him and said, hey, come get in line with me, I'm at this great big tent. Mike saw the tent from the highway, pulled off, got in line, and went through the 99 experience. Mike was sitting there with the encourager in the last room that night, and he slid a ticket across the table and said, I don't need to pick this up, you need to take this for me. We took this ticket to security and found the hunting knife that Mike was gonna take his life with that night. Mike went through the 99 experience and God saved his life. In one of our cities, a gang showed up in line. They were wearing full colors, bandanas. They came through the 99 experience laughing, jeering, joking. But when they got to one of our last rooms where a video was shown and a pastor from that city speaks to them and gives an altar call, they bowed their heads, and one by one, 
they raise their hands to receive Christ. Rachel lives in Michigan. One night, Rachel's sister and her boyfriend were driving down the highway. Her boyfriend had been drinking. They had an accident. They were both killed instantly. Rachel's sister was four and a half months pregnant. We're doing this for Michael and Rachel and Rachel's sister that are becoming statistics every day in America. That's why I carry this knife from city to city, reminding us that there are kids that believe that they're invincible. This is why we have passion to keep going from city to city. This is the heartbeat of the 99. This is why we keep doing this. That's what the 99 is. 99 young people die in America every day from preventable causes. They didn't have to die. day we'll come here to Lafayette. Yeah. You know, we go to where basically we go where we're invited. We've now been in 42 cities across America and just under a half million young people have experienced the 99. And with that, over 140,000 young people have received Christ. As they sit one-on-one, God begins to deal with their heart. So the first question we ask them when they're seated is, what room affected you the most? And they begin to share about different things that are happening in their life. Second thing we ask them, are you connected with a local church? Almost every person says, yeah, yeah, I go to church. The follow-up question to that is, what's the pastor's name? Oh, uh, uh, it's been a while since you've been, hasn't it? Yeah, I went like two Easter's ago. But, but see, most people feel they're connected with a local church. But we've, we've charted it and just... Over 82% of the half million that have gone through the 99 can't name a pastor. Would you agree if you can't name a pastor, you're probably not connected with the church, okay? So the 99 is reaching the lost. That's its purpose. Who comes to Christian events? Christians. We're going after the lost. That's why our graphics and things are a little dark. I mean, the way that God has orchestrated the thing, we kind of stay under the radar. And it draws people by the thousands. People wait three hours in line to have an encounter with God. And many, once they go through, they want their friends to experience. They want, you know, their, their worker, co-workers to experience it. And many come back two, three, four times while we're there for four weekends in the month. And so we're seeing amazing, incredible results. But you notice these little colored uh, pieces of paper that were on there. The third question we ask them is when they're seated, What's the greatest need you have in your life right now, today? And people began to weep and they write out their greatest hurt, their greatest need. I pulled some of them off the cross because we have them then after they, we pray over them, they go and stick them to the cross. And then we take them that night off the cross. We paste them on these boards and literally we cover our walls with thousands and thousands of prayer requests. And these are some, you know, of the greatest needs that I pulled off. This one, 
This one says, I want to feel like my friends really like me, and I don't want to have the feeling to cut myself again. This one says, depression, anger, dealing with rape. For my boyfriend to stop smoking weed, suicide thoughts, cutting. For my mother to be healed and for my parents to be proud of me. I've attempted suicide multiple times, but I know that the 99 has now changed that. There's not a weekend that goes by that we don't receive two, three, four, up to six suicide letters. People, young people that have actually written letters out telling them why they're taking their life. And they slide it across to the encourager that's speaking and ministering to them. I mean, they've gone so far to, to, I mean, to write out their hurt and pain. Most people don't have anybody they can speak with or talk with it without it being blasted on the Internet or social media. They sense that this is a safe environment and people just literally bear their heart and weep and cry sometimes for several hours as our, as our loving church body comes together to minister to people that are hurting in their city. This one says, make my mom stop doing drugs. This one says, dear God, I feel like there's a monster on the inside of me, ready to come out and tear apart everything around me. My anger is nearly uncontrollable, and it keeps me from having a good relationship with my parents. This one says, my real dad does not help us, and he makes me and my family cry. Watch over my sister as she goes through therapy for being sexually molested. Watch over my brother as he's in prison for committing the act. This one says, God help me not to be scared, scared to get into the car with my mom without her slamming my head into the dashboard. You see, these are real needs and kids are going through every city. So the 99 is there to reach out, to love kids, to love young people. And so that's what we do. We leave our home in January and we get home just before Thanksgiving for the last seven and a half years. But the Lord gave us an assignment as we go across our city. So I carry these to inspire me and to remember why we do. Because sometimes as you're facing battles, and most of them many times are against Christian people, ministries that don't believe that there's a need to reach out to people. Our nation is changing. Churches are changing. Thank God you're part of a church that still has that passion to love people and to reach out. I want to show you one other video here that our team, uh, you know, we, we purchased our first tent and then um, the Lord provided a second tent. And so we've had multiple units going out there reaching people. And then I purchased a third tent that we're, we're preparing and I'll, uh, we're basically preparing to go to the Dominican Republic. So it slightly got delayed and you'll, I'll tell you why in just a moment, but, but we're preparing here in 2016 to take the 99, which will change its name because it's a 99 is a U.S. stat, so we've got to change it, put the soundtrack in Spanish. But we'll be going to the Dominican Republic and do about seven or eight or nine cities there. We'll spend a year there. As Cuba is opening up, if you've been following the news, then we're going to take it into Cuba. We're believing to take it across Cuba. Then throughout South America, we've got invitations now to take it all across Russia, all across Asia. So there'll be multiple, maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 of these rolling across the world, reaching people so that people have a, have a, a spot they can sit down one-on-one -on -one where people can speak into their life and pray and minister to them. And then we have a, a, a spectacular follow-up program as well. 
where we're seeing amazing, incredible results. Just real quick, it's in Bakersfield, California is one of those. And they grew some 800 people. It was a church of about 1,000 people, and they grew 800 people after the 99 was in their city. They had built just a brand new youth building, gorgeous building, seated 150 teenagers. They had to move out of that and have the teenagers meet in the sanctuary because they were no longer able to fit in the building. They've now grown well over 1,000 people just three years since we've been there. But they continue to reach out to the city. They said the 99 changed the church. So it, it is impacting people. But we got a word that, I don't know if you all heard about it, the, that small tornado that came through Moore, Oklahoma last year. Devastated the entire city. We had one of our units on the road, and we actually had a break when that happened. And our outreach pastor, Rod Baker, called me. We were in Florida. I said, Terry, I know you just purchased a new tent. Do you think you could bring and set it up? We've got all these trucks and semis coming in, and, and they're dumping everything in this parking lot of this church. And we have nowhere to put it, and it's raining every day. Stuff is being ruined, and we're having to throw stuff away. Do you think you, could you bring one of your tents that we could just set it up inside? And, and so, man, the Lord spoke to me instantly to bring my team and to bring, uh, to bring our brand new tent that we've, it's to be the first time we've set it up, and uh, to bring it there. And so we, we brought our team from Florida and set it up there. And so I want to show you what happened there. Go ahead and let's run. Damon, there. this tornado's turned into a violent stovepipe. It just hit a house or a barn. We've got debris flying everywhere. This is terrible. This is war zone terrible. This school is completely gone. Pastor Rod Baker at Victory, he called Terry Henshaw, our directors, and said they need a tent for all the product coming in because trucks and trucks of product and supplies are being dropped off and there's nowhere to put it. And at the time, we had the ability to come, and it wasn't really a question or a doubt. We all just said, yeah, we'll do what we can. Kingdom of the heavens is now advancing. Invade my heart, invade this there are people who have lost family members. There are people who have lost loved ones. People have lost children, and they don't know what to do or where to be. But by us showing up with a bottle of water, a bag of groceries, we have an opportunity to get into someone's life, to be able to minister in a way that most people wouldn't have that opportunity. We can show up and present Christ in a real way. you know our goal is to save lives and in the same way in the same thing that's what we're doing here we're saving lives and touching people just in a different way later after this video was filmed, another F5 tornado came through Moore and destroyed that tent. Took it right out. But the miracle of it is the vinyl, as it all collapsed, fell over all the goods, and every, all the goods were saved. 
It, it, it basically it, it prevented it, or else that would have been scattered everywhere. So we were able to move everything to a big airport hangar, and we were the very next day we were back in business blessing people. Thank God for insurance. <laughs> that was the very first time we set it up, and you know we in, had it insured. And thank you, Lord, they covered it. And so we'll be purchasing another tent and be working toward sending another tent to the Dominican Republic. If you'd like, I, I was talking with Pastor. You know, if you'd like to bring a group there and come and be a part of it, we'd love to have you as, as we work toward that schedule. I'll be going there next week and working on the scheduling for 2016. Now, also, even Pastor didn't mention this, but even if you want to come and join us here in the U.S., uh, our tour opens here just after Easter. And so we'll be in multiple cities across America that if you want to send a mission team and, and work with us on a weekend, we'd love to have you as well to come and be a part of the 99. This church supports us every month. Many, some of you may not be aware of that. And so we are so grateful for the partnership of this church and the impact that you're making uh, every day out there across America. All right. I want to share with you for a few minutes the word here that the Lord spoke to my heart that I'm to share with you. The word of the Lord is basically about choices and how they affect your life, how important your choices are. Joel Osteen, I, I was listening to him one day, and I, man, I couldn't write fast enough as he was saying this. And he, he was basically talking about making spirit-led, wise choices. And he said, we make hundreds of choices every day, what we, are, what we will wear, what we'll eat, and where we'll go. You choose your thoughts every day. You choose which ones you'll dwell on, and which ones you'll ignore. You choose your attitude. Attitude is so important. So you choose your attitude. Tell the person beside you, you choose your attitude. So straighten up. No. no. <laughs> you also choose who you'll associate with. See, that is also extremely important. I, I know of a young lady that spent five years in prison. She was hanging with the wrong crowd, and she had had these young men give her a ride home one day, and on the way home, they robbed a convenience store. She was guilty by association and spent five years in prison because she was in that getaway car. She spent five years in prison because she was hanging with the wrong people. So your choices on who you associate with are extremely important and who you will listen to and who you hear or see yourself. Or how you see yourself. Choices are extremely important. That's because, now listen to this, the quality of your life will be determined by the quality of your decisions. Let me say that again. You've got to get this in your spirit. The quality of your life, in fact, say that, the quality of my life, of my life will, be will be determined by the quality of my decisions. You are what you are today because of the choices that you've made in the past. And what you will be in the future will be determined by the choices you are making right now. That's how important your choices are. I read this story uh, that, man, it just so ministered to me that I want to read it to you. John is the kind of guy that you love to hate. He's always in a good mood and always has something positive to say. Don't you hate people like that? <laughs> when someone would ask him, how you doing? He would reply, if I were any better, I'd be twins. 
He was a natural motivator. If an employee was having a bad day, John was there telling the employee how to look on the positive side of the situation. Seeing this style really made me curious. So one day I went up to him and I said, John, I don't get it. You can't be a positive person all the time. How do you do it? He replied, each morning I wake up and I say to myself, John, you have two choices today. You can choose to be in a good mood or you can choose to be in a bad mood. I choose. See, it's a choice. I choose to be in a good mood. Each time something bad happens, I can choose to be a victim or I can choose to be the victor. I choose to be the victor and learn from it. Every time someone comes to me complaining, I can choose to accept their complaining or I can point or I can point them to the positive side of life. I choose the positive side of life. Yeah, all right. It's not that easy, I protested. Yes, yes it is. Life is all about choices. When you cut away all the junk, every situation is a choice. You choose how you will react to every situation. Now, let me say that again. You choose how you're going to react to every situation. You choose how you allow people to affect your mood. So you, it's a choice. You allow that. You choose to be in a good mood or you choose to be in a bad mood. The bottom line is it's your choice on how you live your life. I reflected on what he said, and soon thereafter, I left the tower industry and to start my own business. We lost touch, but I often thought about him when I made a choice about life instead of reacting to it. Several years later, I heard that John was involved in a serious accident, falling some 60 feet from a communications tower. After 18 hours of surgery and weeks of intensive care, he was released from the hospital with rods placed in his back. I saw him about six months after the accident. When I asked him how he was, he replied, If I were any better, I'd be twins. Want to see my scars? <laughs> I declined on the wounds, but I did ask him what had gone through his mind as the accident took place. He said the first thing that went through my mind was the well-being of my soon-to-be-born daughter. Then as I laid on the ground, I remembered that I had two choices. I could choose to live or I could choose to die. I chose to live. Weren't you scared? Did you, did you lose consciousness, I asked? He replied, <clears throat> the paramedics were great. And they kept, they kept telling me that I was going to be fine. But when they wheeled me into the ER, I saw the expressions on the faces of the doctors and nurses. And I got really scared. In their eyes, I read, he's a dead man. And I knew I needed to take action. What'd you do, I asked. Well, there was a big burly nurse shouting questions at me, said John. She asked if I was allergic to anything. Yes, I replied. The doctors and nurses stopped as they wanted to hear the reply. I took a deep breath and I yelled, I'm allergic to death. Over their laughter, I told them I was choosing to live. Therefore, operate on me as if I am alive and not dead. He lived, thanks to the skill of his doctors, but also because of his amazing attitude. I learned from him that every day 
we have a choice to live life fully. Therefore, our, therefore, our attitude, after all, is everything. See, your attitude can determine life and death. It really can. But if you heard him, he said, you know, he made a choice that when he, when he saw the doctor's faces, he got really scared. I mean, literally, if we yield to, to fear, it will rob you of faith. See, that's, that's an important note as a believer, that if you yield to fear, it will rob you of faith. And if you heard him, he said, I had to make a decision. Am I going to let the fear, being scared, seeing what the doctors were seeing, hearing what the doctors were saying, am I going to let that dictate the way I believe? Or am I going to choose to live and to speak that out and to express that? I want to share with you how powerful fear is. If you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 4, I want to share this verse of Scripture with you. Mark chapter 4. And we're going to look here at verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus said, on the way that when evening had come, He had said to the disciples, Let's go to the other side. Now, they had just stopped. They had just finished ministering to thousands of people. But he said, let's go to the other side. Now, when they left the multitude, they took with them, along with them, the small boats. And, and as a group, they all went. And in the middle of the ocean there, a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But Jesus was asleep on a pillow in the stern. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Now, I've read that thousands of times. But I want you to understand, really, that within this text, what actually happened. Jesus is asleep on, this, you know, on a pillow. This huge storm comes against the boat. I mean, literally, the boat is filling with water, and these huge waves are just roaring against it, you know, and it is slamming against the boat, and water's coming in the boat. And the disciples look at Jesus. He's just sound asleep. He's at total peace. And they said, oh, my gosh, I mean, <laughs> what's happening here? I mean, the boat's filling up. It looks like we're going to die. Guys, we're going to die. Guys, guys, guys. I mean, hey, hey, wait, somebody wake Jesus up. Jesus, we're about to die. Wow, calm down. That's, see, that's the spirit. you got to catch the spirit of what was happening and taking place here. He said, we're about to die. See, in their minds, they had already seen themselves perishing. See, they'd already given up because in the natural, it looked like there's no way. The boat is sinking. We're about to die. See, fear, fear, if you yield to it, will rob you of all hope as well. But Jesus then had a choice when, he, when they woke him up. Finally, Jesus wakes up and he assesses the situation and he looks at it. And what's the first thing he says? Peace, be still. And the Bible says the, a great calm came over the sea. See, Jesus, rather than waking up in fear, he wakes up in faith. And he declares what the Word of God says. I said, we're going to the other side. I had a word from heaven. 
We're going to the other side. So this is not stopping us. See, when you receive a word from God, the devil will do everything he can to stop you. But see, you have a choice. You can obey the situation and the circumstance and what people are saying, loving people. Some Many times people from the church, people in ministry, family members. When things are happening, the, brother, you better not do that. I knew people that did that and died, man. I mean, literally, I mean, I people been bankrupt trying that stuff. Don't do that. But see, you have a word from God. This is what you're due. This is your assignment. And it doesn't look like it's going to take place. But God's saying, if you'll just stay on the course, speak peace to that storm, so then you'll allow me to work. See, when you stay in faith, the Spirit of God can work on behalf of your life. When you stay in fear, it robs you. So here, I want you to see this. In verse 40, Jesus said, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, wait a minute. In Romans 12, 3, it says every person's given a measure of faith. Okay? But now Jesus just said, How is it you have no faith? Here's what I want you to understand. Fear is so powerful, so strong, if you yield to it, it will rob you of every ounce of faith that you have. And you will see that situation is totally hopeless and you're dead. That's it. You're done. So you have a choice. Regardless of what the situation looks like, regardless of what the doctors are saying, see, you have a choice. I can choose to live or I can choose to die. So whatever it is you face, choose life. Choose this, the power and the presence of God. Choose life. And the Spirit of God then will be ushered in on your behalf. See, that's how the Spirit of God works. He's looking for faith. God responds to faith. See, people, you know, are having issues and problems. But the Spirit of God is moved. What moves, the, the you know, all of heaven is the release of your faith. Let it be so according to what? According to your faith. When the woman came with the issue of blood and tugged on Jesus, you know, Jesus, I mean, these crowds are around him, but yet this woman tugs on him and, and, and you know, and, and Jesus stops. He says, who touched me? And the disciples are, oh, Lord, what are you, what are you talking about, man? Look, you're, you're being, pe- people are all over you. No, someone touched me with their faith. And the woman said, Lord, it was I. He said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. The Bible says she was healed that very moment. When the doctors had already told her, we've taken all your money now, you're done. You're just going to die. Sound familiar? You're just going to die. Sorry, nothing else we can do for you. But Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Who touched me, I can tell. The healing power, the healing virtue of God just left. The anointing of God just left and transferred into someone's life. See, that's the power and the Spirit of God. That's what He wants to do for you if you'll stay in faith. But it's a choice. See, you have to choose to live that. You have, to, you have a choice to allow the Spirit of God. I was traveling with Pastor Billy Joe. We were in Russia and I had about a 45-minute drive to the huge auditorium. It seats 22,000 people and and he had, Lord spoke him to, to come for 18 months straight, to give a week out of his schedule, to come to Russia. As the, as the door opened up there, there was a window, and he came 18 months. And so 
anyway, I, I helped him, and, and we moved to Russia to help him. And, and so I'm riding across the city, just me, pastor, and a driver. And so I got 45 minutes, and I just started pastoring. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I just had started. And, and so I said, Pastor Billy Joe, could you give me some advice as a new pastor? What, I mean, could you just help me? Give me some advice. I mean, you've been pastoring for years and, and you know, and, and just speak into me here, to, you know, for a while while we're driving. He said, absolutely. And so I said, well, just a minute. Let me get my pen and paper. And I got my pen and paper out and I got my pad. And I said, okay, pastor, I'm ready. He says, you'll make it in ministry if you don't get bitter. Oh, man, that is good. You will make it in ministry if you don't get bitter. Wow, that's good. Okay, okay. Well, what else? That's it. What? And then I begin to hear him go praying in the spirit, praying for the meeting. What? You will make it in ministry if you don't get bitter. But over the years, I learned that was probably the greatest advice I could ever receive. I can't tell you as we travel across America, some of the stories pastors will tell me, some of the things that happen in people's lives, why they leave churches. I mean, it's just, it's insane. It's crazy. You know, I heard of one woman, I mean, she, she was so upset because she left her church because they wouldn't let her sing the solo in the Christmas uh, presentation and she took 20 families with her and started a home church because she couldn't sing I mean the woman couldn't sing anyway I guess that's why they didn't let her but, but see she I, 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 you know she thinks she could so she was leading worship in her home church I've heard of people that have left churches because they can't sit in a certain spot Bless God, I paid for those seats and our chair drive and our family should sit on the front row. Well, I'm sorry, we're going to have the, you know, for single mothers and, you know, whatever, you know, going to sit in that section. I'm leaving the church. I mean, people, see, they, they make choices that they don't even understand that affect their entire life. See, that's why it's just, it's so important. You know, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 15. I want to show you something here that I think it helps us all. Acts chapter 15 in resolving conflict and making wise choices when people upset us. Acts chapter 15 and verse 36 Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark. But Paul insisted that he should not go because he had bailed from us in another city and left. I don't want him to go. See, now here's what you have to understand. Barnabas at the time had taken Paul under his wing and, and basically was the, the spiritual leader. Okay, he was the mature one. All right? And Paul was under his wing, and, you know, and together they traveled and they were ministering on, on you know, a missionary journey. And, and so Barnabas being the one who's mature. 
So the Bible then says, okay, as we continue to read verse 39, then the contention became so sharp that they departed from one another. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul took Silas and went the other direction. Now, some, I've heard sometimes, you know, people preach and say, well, you know, that was God's way of, of, of having two teams out there ministering. <laughs> God didn't bring contention and strife. So you can have two teams, okay? He's very capable of that one team reaching just as many people. Barnabas being the one who was mature, wasn't mature enough at that time because, bless God, I'm in charge here, I'm in control, and you're going to do what I say. And we're bringing John Mark with us. And the contention became so great and got in an argument, they split. Now, here's what you have to understand. Barnabas is never heard from again in Scripture after that point. Paul continues to mature, and he writes two-thirds of the New Testament. God uses him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He even calls, though, however, later as he realizes the empower, which something that, that, that Barnabas saw in John Mark, Paul calls for him later as he's imprisoned. Calls for him twice, actually. Send John Mark to me. He has great need for the ministry. I want to speak to him. I want to impart to him. John Mark goes on to write the Gospel of Mark. Paul couldn't see it at the time because of his immaturity. Barnabas saw it, but because of his immaturity and not trusting that God is big enough to take care of the situation. I'm in charge. You're going to do what I say. No, I'm not doing that. Okay, we're leaving each other then. And boom, they split. Barnabas misses out on an incredible, amazing blessing. I believe. I believe perhaps even God would have used him even to write. Some of, the, some of the Bible there. Who knows? But see, we have, we have a choice, okay, whether we're going to serve God or not. I remember there was a situation that happened in our ministry that, you know, we, the, the church is exploding. I'm the athletic director, and, and we're taking, in fact, uh, John, uh, I, we, we had planned a trip to Japan, Hong Kong, Korea, and China. He was playing baseball for me, and, and you know, and so we were planning this trip and took a year to put together. But we had a, a, a basically a financial officer, our CFO at the ministry at the time, who basically was from the devil, okay, it was a <laughs> demonic plant, <laughs> felt, you know, that he is going to be in charge of the ministry and how the ministry flowed. He was taking it upon himself. He, he was self-employed, okay? And basically, you know, apologizing for any of you that are in banking or, or financial or whatever, but he was a bean counter. Okay, he had, I mean, literally, he, he didn't even like ministry. So here we've got a bean counter now that, that's taking charge and telling the, the rest of the people in the ministry what they can and cannot do. So he comes to me, and we already had all, all the kids had raised their money. It's not costing the ministry a cent. But he comes to me, and he says... I'm canceling the trip. I don't feel, I feel it's a waste of money for you to take all these kids all the way overseas to play baseball and minister. That is not a ministry. And we're not going. 
So I get my supervisor involved, you know? It's like, dude, this guy's nuts over here, you know? Well, you know, he kind of has a point. He was talking to me, and, you know, I'm like, whoa, 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 time out. And so finally I said, listen, guys, listen. We're going on the trip. Now, if it costs me my job, I understand. Okay, I'll be happy to resign. But these kids have worked hard. It's taken a year in planning. We have ministry scheduled all over Asia. We're going. This guy just, I mean, he, then he comes and he rants and he raves, comes back in my office and he says some very, very hurtful, hateful, ugly things to me. And then other people start, man, I start getting these emails. And so it's like, man, are you kidding me? And I mean, it deeply hurt. Because people that I had trusted, people that I, you know, that I, I, had, I had looked up to, now were saying ugly things. And, and the ministry was exploding. And there was strife happening in other departments and things because people are, are lobbying for, you know, position. And, and, I mean, you just got all this stuff going on because it's exploding. So Pastor Billy Joe pulls the whole staff together. And he says these words. Whatever my supervisors have told you to do, it's as if I said it. And I'll tell you how goofy strife and unforgiveness is. It warps the way you think. And the first thought that hit my brain, my problem's not with my supervisor or the bean counter. My problem's with Billy Joe, Pastor Billy Joe, because he said he said those things. So, I mean, I got offended at my pastor. See, that's how it'll warp you. It'll, it won't, you can't think straight. I mean, when you start listening to all of the garbage that literally the devil begins to throw and you start taking that in and you get offended, I mean, it, it will rob you. I mean, it, it, it just warps the way you think. And so I would even just, I'd take work every Sunday for six months and I wouldn't listen to a word my pastor's saying. I'm working, <laughs> you know. And then, oh, they're giving the altar call. Time to go. But I just got finally fed up with it. And I told my wife, I said, honey, we're leaving the church. They've been talking ugly about me, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm saying, you know, you want to believe what Pastor Billy Joe is saying about me. Now, he's not said a word. <laughs> but I am convinced. He said, it's as if I said it. So I'm thinking, he's feeding these guys. He, those other guys were just messengers because it was coming from him. I'm sure of it. See, that's how it warps you. And so I'm ranting and raving to my wife, we're leaving, we're going to just, I mean, I'm resigning, and we're going to quit, we're going to leave the church. And my, she let me just rant and rave, and she's just sitting there so calm and just, <laughs> okay, are you done? Let me just ask you this question. Did God tell you to leave? Okay, honey, you have not been listening to a word I've said. <laughs> Obviously. Didn't you hear what I just said? I rant and rave again. You see, my wife and I had already made the decision. It's God who selects your pastor. It's God who selects your church. Your destiny is connected to the local house you attach to. See, we knew that in our heart. And you don't dare leave it. If God directs you here, you do not dare leave until God says for you to leave. That's what I said. There's so many people that leave churches offended because they can't sing in the Christmas special. They can't sit in a certain place. They can't park in a, in a certain place. I paid to repave the parking lot. I should be next to the pastor. There should be a sign reserved with my name on it. 
Yeah. Had a real influential guy, pastor told me, left his church because he couldn't have a parking space next to his. Yeah. Is that nutty? Yeah, we think so. But it's not nutty if you yield to that garbage. If you listen to offense, if you listen to those things. See, it will change the way you think. And it causes divisions. And, and, and the crazy thing is, like I told you, that lady took 20 families with her. I mean, you ever, you know, if you're taking on somebody else's offense, have you ever done that? You know, when they tell you, there's, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe what that, this happened to me. Blah, blah, blah. I can't believe they said that to you. I can't believe they did that to you. <laughs> and they get madder than the person who happened to. <laughs> See, that's what strife and division will do. And you have a choice. Rather than those people that are hearing the garbage, you know, just like this guy said, I, I, I use this as an opportunity to bring healing. No, people get mad and they leave as well. And usually when the person who was offended got over it, the people who took on the offense still are having problems and issues with it. That's how goofy it is. That's how strong it is. And if you yield to it, I'm telling you, it'll, it'll, it'll change your destiny. See, if you yield to it. But we have a choice. See, we can choose. Barnabas missed out, I believe, on the greatest blessing. One of the things that I finally did resign. I resigned my job. We didn't leave the church because God didn't say you could leave the church. But I did quit. Because we were going to start our company, I thought. See, I, I've been working on starting a company. And I've got, man, we're just three months away. And we've been saving and everything. Okay, we can last three months. Okay, and we're going to start the company. So I quit. I resigned. As I resigned, within two weeks, the investment group that I'd assembled crumbled, fell apart. So now I don't have a job. I'm in strife. I have unforgiveness. And now, I mean, we got more month than we got money. We lasted about, I mean, I am just doing odd jobs, trying to do things, sharing vision with people, trying to do stuff. But I mean, I, it's just, we're starving. Cut off notices and everything. And my wife then took, she bought, I mean, after seven months, she brought this little plate. We were sitting down for dinner and I'm sitting there, you know, and she brings this little plate. It's got about six peas on it. In a little spot, we had one potato left, and, and we had one child, and so basically we got a third of one potato. And that was it. My wife sets the plate down and says, this is it. We're going to eat this and die. <laughs> That's it. We're done. That dinner, we have a candle because our electricity's turned off. Our gas is turned off. We hadn't paid our rent in three months and they're coming to get our car we're done we're going to eat this and die see we had lost hope and I remember because I was so hurt we sat down and we both got on our knees and we began to pray and I heard the Lord say now are you ready to let me have this because you need to forgive and I remember forgiving those people who had hurt me, who had said ugly things to me. 
I forgave my pastor who never did anything to me. <laughs> but I still felt need to, <laughs> to I mean, I, he knows the story. I mean, you know, I, I told him years later. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I forgave everybody. And here's what happened. This little, I mean, this 10-ton weight lifted off my life. And my wife began, and I began to laugh. And the joy came back. I hadn't laughed in a year. And the joy of the Lord came back. We began to laugh, and I was free. But it went on for another year and three months. We lived in poverty. See, the provision was there all the time, being employed, that I could have continued to put this thing together. The provision was there. But I chose to leave the very place that God had planted me. And I put our family through a year of poverty. And I, I don't have time to go into that story because it's pretty crazy, the stuff we had to do to survive. So I know what it's like not to have anything and to ha literally have everything stripped from you. There, I mean, I'm telling you, there is so much pain in that. So I never want to be in that position again. But see, I, put, I made the choice. I put our family through that. And it's a choice. I, I want to close with this. I, I brought some things I want to pass out to you here. And basically, it's a sheet that if we could pass that out, it's called Take the High Road. And I want to just read in closing here a little clip from this. If we could pass that out to everybody. Because it's something that the Lord showed me about when offenses come, when strife comes, when, when basically we have the choice to basically take the high road and allow people, well, basically, you know, to allow God to use you when people are hurting, when people are offended, or people that say things to you when offense comes. That He gave me this word, and it's helped me stay out of offense, stay out of strife. It's helped me make wise choices. And so, if you would... If you would look right there where I made that little typo, you see that UN, okay, for unforgiveness, all right? I want to I just start right there. It says, unforgiveness and bitterness is a vicious and many times demonic as it causes division and brings and begins to drive a wedge between family, friends, ministry, and your job. The enemy's plan, so you got to understand this, the enemy's plan is to keep you from being blessed and becoming the very person God has designed you to be. Sometime, something my wife and I began to do years ago, and the Lord showed us through our early morning prayer, is that when we pray each day, we say, no matter what is said to us or done to us this day, we choose, we make the choice right now to forgive. Now, catch that. Every day, my wife and I pray. I mean, she either leads it out or, or I do. But every day we include this in our early morning prayer. Let's say, Lord, no matter what's said to us, no matter what's done to us today, right now, ahead of time, we choose to forgive. And I'm telling the Holy Spirit, every time we have the opportunity, usually it's several times a day, uh, you know, to, to not be offended, to not take on strife, to not, you know, to, to allow that thing to take root in our life, the Holy Spirit will say, wait a minute, I thought you already forgave him. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, you know, or not let you in, or, you know, just these thoughts of anger and things that try to rise up. And the Holy Spirit will say, wait, I thought you already forgave them. So right then you have to choose to obey the Spirit of God or, you know, be gratified in the flesh and yell at somebody. 
So right then, see, it, it helps you. And by proclaiming that, the Spirit of God will help you. It's imperative. It's imperative to guard our hearts on a daily basis. Even before the day begins, we have already settled the issue of forgiveness. As things come up during the day, the Holy Spirit reminds us to forgive. So at that point, we have a choice. We choose to forgive. I believe the devil is using this today to keep the body of Christ from coming together. His plan is to keep households and ministries in such division and strife that their focus will not be on winning souls or fulfilling God's plan. Who do you need to forgive today? All of us must make the choice to let it go. It could be the very thing that has held your miracle from manifesting. I discovered that. The miracle of starting a new company was not manifesting because I was caught and I was trapped by strife and unforgiveness. Hurting people hurt people. So you have to understand that. So that's why you can have help. When people are just spewing venom at you, you have to understand they're hurting. And hurting people hurt people because they're, they're trying to express themselves. They're trying to be free, but they don't know what to do because they're trapped in unforgiveness and strife and bitterness. See, it's, it's a cancer. It's growing on the inside of them, and they don't know what to do, so they spew it out. And they do hurtful things, so hurt, hurting people hurt people, so help them. Don't join in and add fuel to that flame and fire and cause further division. But allow the Spirit of God to live through you to bring healing, to be swift to hear and slow to speak. Jesus, when He was confronted, if you remember, the, the, the uh, Pharisees and all the people threw the woman in the dirt at Him, you know, and said, this woman was caught in adultery. You tell us what we should do for her. You see, it was an entrapment at the time. You have to understand their custom. If Jesus were to go against the custom and the law of Moses, they had the right not only to stone her, but also stone him. So it was an entrapment, and Jesus recognizing that. And if you remember, he knelt down in the dirt, the Bible says, and he began to draw. And I believe symbolic that he was drawing from the Spirit of God. Lord, say, my life depends on this answer, Lord. What do, what do I do? What do I say? And then he spoke, and he stood up and he spoke, and he said these words, if you'll remember. He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, they began to drop their rocks and walk away. They were so convicted until all was gone. And he turned to the woman and said, woman, where are your accusers? They're gone. Go and sin no more. You've been healed. You see, he brought peace to that situation by the very word. Rather than him getting in strife or calling a legion of angels to destroy him. No, what he does, he speaks by the Spirit of God. See, that's what God wants us to do. To, to, to basically not react out of the flesh, but to respond by the Spirit of God. That's what God is calling us to do. So hurting people hurt people. Realize that. It's time to forgive and let it go. Don't let the devil have his way in your life any longer. But choose to forgive. Pastor Billy Joe used to say, don't let another minute with strife or unforgiveness, don't let it, don't let it go another minute in your heart. But let that weight lift off your life and focus on the things of God. See, let it go. I had something else. Well, 
You know, I just felt like the Lord wanted that word shared with you today. That, you know, that if we have to let it go. I mean, I remember, you know, when I was dating my wife, we just had this massive argument. And I mean, you know, I was standing inside their house, and I mean, I just, I just said, that's enough. And, I, and I, I went out the door, and I slammed it. And I said, I'm never coming back here again. And I went out, got in my car, and tried to peel off. Because I had a 68 Cadillac, uh, I mean, uh, Catalina, uh, you know, it's like it was one of those big boats. It was my parents' car, okay? And I tried to peel off, and it stall, almost stalled out on me. But I wanted to show her, but it didn't. It, it, so it wasn't very pretty. But I was just showing her, I, I am serious. And so I'm driving down the road, and I'm saying, man, I, I ain't never going back there. And she just, ah. So anyway, I was so upset. But at 15th in Pittsburgh, I remember this so vividly. 15th in Pittsburgh. See, whenever God speaks to you about His will, you'll always be able to go back to the very place and the very time that it happened. See, that's how you can know it's the will of God. Sometimes people say, oh, brother, you know, God spoke to me. I was to do this. So where were you? What were you doing? Huh? Oh, uh, well, it's just, it's just a feeling. I just felt it. Well, it could have been the pizza. Okay? You might have had gas or something. I mean, come on. You know? I mean, it's, so it's not a feeling. But when the Spirit of God speaks a life decision in your life, you will always be able to go back to the very place and the very time that he spoke it. Just keep that for you. Just always know that. 15th in Pittsburgh. Spirit of God spoke to me. Turn this car around. Go back and make up because she's going to be your wife. I said, God, I don't want her to be my wife. She makes me crazy. And man, I kept driving. <laughs> I just kept driving. But a half mile down the road, 15th and Harvard, I stop at the stoplight, and I hear the Spirit of God say it again. Go back and make up, because she's going to make your she's because she's going to be your wife. Mm, mm, light turns green. I'm not moving. Cars are honking. I'm not moving. Go around. Go around. I'm not moving because I have a choice. I can go straight to my house. Or I can make a right turn. So the light turns red again. People are not very happy with me. <laughs> but I'm staying. Light turns red. And then the light turns green. I got a choice. So I make a, a, a right turn. And I make a 14 mile, okay, right turn around my city. Giving God plenty of time, because I'm thinking, okay, he's going to say any moment, okay, you were obedient, I saw you, okay, now go on home, okay? <laughs> but he never did it. And I got to pull up in front of her house. <laughs> I get out of the car, I walk up to the door. Maybe she's left. <laughs> I knock on the door, dun, dun, dun. All of a sudden, the door flings open. And she just runs and leaps in my arms. And she had been bawling because God had already spoken to her too. And we made up that day. We'll celebrate our 38th year anniversary this year. 
you see. Here's what I know. I know I would not be here today had it not been for her. She completes me. She's weak where I've been. I mean, she's strong where I've been weak. I mean, she's, been, she's my best friend. We work together in everything that we do. See, I wouldn't be here today had it not been for her. I, I can tell you that. Because the Spirit of God, see, brought us together to fulfill His plan and purpose here on the earth. I was with in Peru with your pastor and John. And uh, Pastor Mickler was speaking to about 2,000 Peruvian people on the, up in the mountains. We were in the mountains. And, and I heard it, you know, he's, he's preaching. And all of a sudden, he stops. So, you know, I, I look up, you know, and he just stopped. And I thought, oh, maybe he lost his place or something, you know, or whatever. And uh, he's just he's not saying nothing. And then he says, God just spoke to me that I'm to ask you this question. And he says, how many of you, you're believers, many of you, how many believers? A lot of believers, okay. How many of you, as a believer, you're doing things and you're living your life and you're doing things that you know are not right with God. You know they're not right, but you do them anyway. How many of you am I speaking to you right now? 90% of the people raise their hand. I remember Pastor Bill looks at his interpreter and says, Hey, I don't think you interpreted that correctly. <laughs> um, I need you to say exactly what I said. And she said, Pastor, I, I said it exactly like you said. Well, let me say it again because I don't think they quite understood that. I don't think he was expecting that kind of response. Okay, and so he says again, how many of you, you're believers, you love God, but yet you know you're doing things, you're involved in things that you know are not pleasing to God, you know they don't line up with the word, but you continue to do them anyway. How many am I speaking with? The same 90%, raise their hand. He was, he was basically taken back. And the Spirit of God spoke to me at that moment. And he said, that's why I can't move among my people the way I desire. Because they're choosing. They know it's wrong, but they continue to be involved with it. And that's why we're not seeing the miracles. That's not why we're not seeing the signs and the wonders that God desires to manifest through His people. But we've chosen not to basically give them everything. There's a term in poker. I'm not advocating poker, okay? But there's a term that when you feel you have the best hand and you're, I mean, literally, you're willing to risk everything, there's a term that you basically take all of your money, all of your chips, and you move them to the center of the table and you say, I'm... Well, you all watching... Uh... That's interesting. You all know that term. <laughs> okay, we'll just let that go, all right? <laughs> all right, we'll let that go. All right. I'm all in. I'm willing to risk everything, okay? In the natural, I mean, a gambler, somebody gambling, they're willing to do that. But as believers, are we willing to be all in for God? To give Him everything. To give Him everything. Are we willing to be all in and allow Him? To have 100% of our heart. You see, most believers today, and I'm convinced of this because as I travel across America, I speak to thousands and thousands and thousands of believers. 
And I talk to them about their life and, and they'll share things with me. And, and basically, if I were to do an analysis, I would say pretty much the body of Christ across America is about 70% in with God as a general rule. About 70%. The other 30%, they reserve for themselves to gratify their flesh. I want you to close your eyes just for a moment. And I want you to begin to really analyze your personal life. Because I believe in these last days, God's looking for people that are willing to sell out 100%. That are willing to lay everything down, to willing to lay every offense, every bit of unforgiveness, every bit of strife, every addiction, every pain. Letting go of things that, things that people did to them as a child or in their past and they've They've become a prisoner of their past. They've become a victim rather than a victor. And they've allowed this to control their life. And, and because of that, they're not all in with God. They're about 70%, 80%. I mean, you know where you are. But the Spirit of God, see, I believe, sent me here to speak to you today. Because it's His desire you would be 100% sold out to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because there's so many things he wants to do through you. There's vision he wants to bring forth. There's giftings and there are talents that are perhaps lying dormant on the inside of you you don't even know exist. God's just simply been waiting. I mean, so many people that, you know, maybe been struggling with the will of God. You know, I don't know the will of God. I'm just waiting on God. No, let me just tell you something. He's waiting on you. He's waiting on you to get serious, to, to surrender everything to his lordship. I don't care if you've been a Christian for years and years and years, like myself. I had to come to the point where I'd allowed all that stuff in. But I had to realize, Lord, I'm carrying all this baggage and I'm not 100% in for you. And therefore, I'm not operating, I'm not living under the blessing of God, the full blessing of God. Sure, there have been great things that happened and inklings and things happened, but, but it just seemed I was always falling short. There's still there was this void in my heart knowing there's more. I didn't know how to get there until I was in a service like this. And I said, God, I want everything you have for my life. And I don't care who's here. I don't care who sees it. It's a choice. I choose to have life and life more abundantly, you said. I'm not living in the fullness of that. And I don't care what it takes. I'm going to get that. I'm going to, I'm going to pursue that with my heart and my life. The moment I made that decision, it changed my life. God began to take us on a journey that's this amazing, incredible journey. See, that's what he's waiting on. He's waiting for full surrender. And if you're here today and you say, Terry, man, would you pray for me? I, I'm kind of where you were and, and and man I'm ready though I'm ready I want everything God has for me I know I've not I, I've held on to things I know I've, I've got some issues and, but I'm willing to let it all go I'm, lay, I'm ready to lay it at the feet of Jesus and I'm ready to be all in if that's you 
that you want me to pray for you. There's an anointing in the presence of God here. I want you to slip your hand in the air right now. Just slip it up. Slip it up. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. Just slip it up. The Bible says we lift our heart up with our hand. So you, basically you're lifting your heart up, saying, Lord, that's me. That's me. Anyone else? Thank you. Put those hands down. There may be some of you here today that said, you know what, Terry? Man, I, I, I've not known Jesus like you're talking about in the presence of God. I, I, it's kind of foreign to me and, and, but because I've never given my heart to Christ. But today after hearing what Jesus will do for you and how it changes your life, I'm ready to open my heart. Or you're here and saying, you know what? I once walked from God, but I, I've let it slip away. It's My heart's grown cold. But today, I want to come back to the Lord. If that's you, I want you to slip your hand in the air real quick. Just slip it up. Say, that's me. That's me. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Just say, that's me. That's me. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? That's me. Thank you. That's me. I've let it grow cold. Or I'm coming to the Lord for the first time. That's me. That's me. Anyone else? See, the Spirit of God is here right now. This is your opportunity to choose life or to choose death. God's saying, He's knocking at the heart of your, the door of your heart, saying, Let me come in. I'll come in if you'll let me, but you got to open up. Anyone else? Just slip your hand in the air. That's me. That's me. Let's all stand together. And if you slipped your hand up on any of those invitations, I want you to come and stand right here with me very quick. Just slip out. Just keep you a minute more. Slip out. I want you to come. That's me. That's me. That's me. I want the fullness of the Spirit of God. I want to live 100% all in. I'm not holding back anymore. But I want everything God has for me. I want everything. Just come. That's me. That's me. If you didn't raise your hand, but you know you're supposed to be here, God's tugging at your heart. Come quickly. We're closing. Don't let this choice pass you by. Don't, let, don't walk away with here with that hurt and that pain. Don't carry that baggage out with you. God's saying you leave it right here. I'm big enough to carry, for it, carry it. Barnabas didn't make that decision. He went away. It was never heard of again. He never, I believe, fulfilled the plan and purpose of God the things God wanted him to do. Don't leave here with that. I'm pleading with you. Don't leave here with that. That's the message God wanted me to deliver to you. You are here for that purpose. Anyone else? Let's all lift our hands. All over this place, just lift your hands, all of us, and surrender. And I want all of us to pray this prayer. I want you to say, Lord Jesus, Say it like you mean it. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender to you. I surrender to your Lordship. And I give you 100%. I give you 100%. I give you 100%. I give you everything. I lay my life down for you. Let your will, let your plans, let your purposes now be established in my heart. I lay my will down and I lift up your will that you would speak to me, that you would reveal to me 
your plan and purpose that I would hear from heaven and I would know by the Spirit of God your perfect will, your perfect assignment for my life. I love you, Jesus, and I give you my heart today. We hope this message encouraged you. Victor Christian Center is passionate about sharing the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus. Learn more about us at victorylafayette.org. If you don't know Jesus or maybe you've gotten distracted and stopped following him, I'd like to pray for you right now. The most important decision you'll ever make involves accepting the love of Jesus and his gift of new life. I'd invite you to make this prayer your own and take this opportunity to begin to follow Jesus. God, I ask you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I ask you to forgive the sin in my life that has kept me from enjoying a relationship with you. Give me a fresh start by changing my life and helping me to follow you from this point forward. I accept your love through Jesus and I commit to trust your plan for my life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, please get in touch with us and let us know. To learn more about Victory or to contact us, visit us online at victorylafayette.org.